0: Welcome, and you're listening to Geekologist Radio, a division of the Ninja Pancake Family of Podcasts. Dave here, and welcome to Geekologist Radio's special Westworld review episode, where we take you through all things Westworld and accurately predict the future. Let's introduce our crew for tonight. Along with us here, we have Chris. How you doing, man? Good. I've got my red ball. I'm all set. (laughs) All right. Uh, Cajun, you're here as well?
1: I am, and I'm sipping on some sweet Canadian whiskey right now, and it's it's too sweet. If you hear me pucker up, it's because of that.
0: Yes, can I just tell you? Uh, so we're we're recording now. This is Monday night. Uh, excuse me, it's Tuesday night. Uh, we're recording late. We normally record on a Monday, but because of the holiday and everybody was off doing things, you know, it was it was hard to to pull it off. So we're one day late, and uh, so I was away, and I was at a hotel, and I woke up in the morning, and this is Monday morning, and I'm thinking about how I missed Westworld, and I look on the counter of of the desk in the hotel and there's a little card advertising HBO and it's got that picture of, you know, the crow mm-hmm. with the red sky and yep. uh, Williams hat there on the ground. And I was just, is this, you know, like God is punishing me for not having watched the show last night. I can't, I couldn't wait to get home and watch it last night. And uh, I was not disappointed. It was, it was a good one. So um,
2: it, it was hard because we Cajun and I had already seen it. And I knew what was happening at the ending and how much it would mean to you. So it was, like, difficult to, to like, not say anything. It's like, okay, we we'll just wait for him to watch. Yeah, we,
1: we need to talk here and not there. And so he can get it. Or just don't listen to us and stop checking the messages. And... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was tough. So, listen, let's dive right into it. And let's start off with what we got right and what we got wrong. And the biggest thing for me, I mean, I was just, like, standing up and cheering. Because we see at the end, we seem to have proof now, Ford put his consciousness into a mind core when he died. So it now looks like Bernard was sent by Ford to that facility to retrieve Ford's mind core. You know, he killed everybody, he slipped it into his pocket, he wiped out all the witnesses, and Ford had Bernard go and plug his mind core into the cradle, and Ford is now in the cradle and he's in the actual programming of the park itself. We we hear all these references of the cradle fighting back and improvising and showing resistance. So the cradle and the mesh network, it seems like that is how Ford is able to speak directly to William Black through other hosts and things after his physical death. We talked about that uh, a couple of few episodes ago you know when we were looking at um uh, what's his name lawrence's daughter right you know when she was saying things to him when you had the um the host young ford talking to william and how was he getting into all of these different hosts and speaking was this pre-recorded no it, it turns out there's a very distinct possibility this is ford in real time his consciousness now speaking through these hosts. Normally, this is the part where
2: uh, uh, Cajun has a dagger. (laughs) I'm just going to have a little needle, just a little hole that I might poke. And mind you, I believe everything that Dave is saying. So I'm just saying that we don't know if that red ball was put there. We have no idea yet. We're We're under the assumption that that's the case. And we're also under the assumption that Ford is inside there and bernard is not seeing anything differently i'm just saying this is westworld so anything can happen
0: right
1: it's not a hundred percent but it is tracking really really strong right now uh yes. one of the strongest trackers now one other thing i'm actually going to say i was wrong on this because i was against this i didn't think that that happened at all so dave was right i was wrong uh but one thing i noticed was that the Delos chat chatbot on the westworld website uh when asked how did you get here? The chatbot responds. I think you know the answer to that. A simple solution that fit in the palm of Bernard's hand, and that's the Devos chatbot. So,
2: Ooh. okay. Ooh. So
1: that means Bernard okay. put whoever was talking to you on the chatbot in there from Bernard's hand. So that's interesting. that's interesting right there. Doesn't mean Ford because I don't think it it says Ford at all in there, but it does mean that Bernard put something from his hand into the thing which we're very highly likely to believe because he's like i was here i did something with this thing and he's looking right at it like they're really heavy-handed with some of these things right now sure um one of mine that's trending not nearly trending as hard as dave's this is just something that i've uh, i've picked up um this was my continuing one from almost a year and a half ago which uh charlotte is arnold's starter uh this one was i'm gonna give credit to Wingsnake. 44 from the Westworld Discord. Um, so he pointed out something in terms of Charlotte's dialogue that leads to this. So we know Bernard used to read Alice in Wonderland to his kid Charlie. Now what Hale says to him when they enter the bunker, she says, if I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. Which it that's Sorry, that's a line from Alice in Wonderland. And when they enter the book, Bernard asks her, What is this? And Charlotte's response is, I can tell you what it isn't. So that whole, I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it isn't, is very uh, Alice in Wonderland themed. So, very Cheshire Cat, Cat themed. So that to me means that it's one more piece of evidence that this could be Arnold's daughter because she's quoting something very similar to Alice in Wonderland. Dave.
0: I love that. That is such a great pickup. Uh, Is this guy on Twitter? Can we message him and tell him that that's (laughs) a really great catch?
1: No clue. I I just know him from the uh, the Westworld Discord that I, I joined from the Reddit there. And uh, I love it because I, I, we were talking theories and I brought up my Charlotte one and I listed my evidence and he put that in there I was like oh, going to the great evidence pool and I wrote it down And but then I just found this was like almost two episodes ago I wrote it down but I just found it in my notes uh, just recently so oh, I'm like oh yeah I need, I need to put that back <laughs> yeah. in uh, yeah that works so um, this is one of mine that, uh I had from very early on Chris was on board with this one too now Dolores in the blue dress was interviewing Bernard in the future and not Arnold Arnold interviewing Dolores in the past. Uh, and we, we all, when we all brought this up, we were all on board with it because it just made sense. And now there's very clear evidence that Dolores is interviewing Bernard and she's testing him versus Dolores' memories of her and Arnold's interviews. That's the fidelity. We know that she's testing Bernard is can he pass the fidelity test for Arnold, how he's programmed, how Arnold or Bernard or whatever is programmed. Is it still his black mind core being tested right there? Is it a new red mind core that's been programmed to try to pass these fidelity test? We don't know, but we know she's, she has perfect memory of everything Arnold said. And she's reenacting those interviews trying to get him to be exactly the way she was because she has a better fidelity test than William ever did because she has a lot longer memory of everything he did in those rooms. So that's what we see her doing in there.
2: My curiosity with this is whether or not Ford knows that this is occurring. Is she doing this off script and doing this as part of being conscious almost even prior to, or in some form of that? Or is this something that Ford was like, okay, I want you to do this.
1: Right. Now, the only reason I think this is Ford wanting her to do this is because we see this filmed in letterbox, And we're not 100% sure yet, but we have a feeling that when you see something in letterbox with that tight aspect, wide aspect ratio, that this is in the cradle. And these scenes are seen in the cradle. And the reason we think that is something we'll get to later is that when we see Bernard go into the cradle, aspect ratio changes. And the aspect ratio has changed in these Dolores and bernard scenes. So that's the assumption that this is the cinematography the the directors are using to make us uh, know when we're where right now.
0: Yeah. And again, this is not the kind of show where somebody accidentally hit the wrong button on a camera <laughs> and they went, "Oh, let's just go with it." You know, they're so meticulous. This is this is a clue. Right. Well, if
2: you're going with various timelines and then various realities, you have to have some re- some way to decipher or at least allow the audience to know, "Hey, that we're here now, otherwise it would get way beyond to the point where it would be almost be impossible to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. I mean, as it is, you got to watch two or three times. <laughs> I mean, it would be even worse. Right,
1: and that's something last season I think got a lot of heat for. Is a lot of people didn't pick up what was happening because all of the stuff was really subtle and it wasn't heavy handed. And this season there are some subtle secrets they're keeping up with those but they have a lot of heavy handed secrets just for the people sure. who aren't paying as close attention as we are to be able to pick up on that and feel like they're a part of it instead of being blindsided by everything so i think that i think i like that they're doing some of this heavy-handed right now mm. all right
0: now all right. as much as we have a lot of things that are tracking right i have to now for two weeks in a row lead off what we got wrong with basically the same thing which is my multiple Bernard's theory did not show up in episode 6. It didn't happen yet. But so I you're still saying we have a chance. maintain it is 100% coming. And apparently, I didn't watch the preview for next week, but apparently they kind of leaned on it a little bit. So it is coming. Uh, but the manner in which... You know, there's so many other things that that seem to underline that this is definitely something that's going to happen. Just the way that the cradle works implies that it's possible you know you have bernard's mind core removed and then he's hooked into the cradle and then you know you could envision them then putting it back into him to have him fully restored to himself and go back out into the world uh just the fact that that is um you know a, a process that works in the cradle implies that mind core swapping is something that's definitely viable in this universe and with this technology
1: Right. And he'll probably remember everything or, or what comes back. Can it be reprogrammed while it's in there? We still don't know if cores can be reprogrammed or they have to be printed. So uh, can they just be toggled or can they actually be reprogrammed on the spot? Uh, one thing I was wrong about was something I changed on. I did this last year with who took Elsie and I did it again this year. I said Maeve's daughter wouldn't recognize her and this would crush Maeve. And then I backtracked that and said Maeve's too smart for this. That's why she's keeping the devils' text around. That's why Sizemore, Felix, and Sylvester around to reprogram her daughter. And then as soon as they get to the farm, and she's like, "Y'all stay behind. I'm going by myself." I was just like, oh, "I was so wrong." <laughs> she's gonna get slammed, and she was so slammed.
2: As soon as she said that, I knew, like the back, like immediately, I was like, "There's gonna be another mom." Like mm-hmm. as soon as she said, "I'm gonna yep. go do this on my own," I'm like, "There's gonna be another mom." And then, boom! I was waiting for the daughter to to make a comment. She didn't make the comment.
0: It was the mom. And that then she did, just yeah.
2: turned her head. Yeah. And it was like, "Damn." Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna throw one in here that I got wrong, kind of, but it's still not still not that far off. Listen, she has still not been named Grace or Emily yet. So therefore, it still continues on until next episode. There, it it. And you yourself, Cajun, IMDb still has her named as Grace.
1: Right, and and just because I was checking for something else, I decided to check the script, and Emily or Grace is not listed one time in face-based script. Neither name, nobody says Emily Grace or M. Um, now, one thing you did get wrong last week, Chris, was you said Maeve left her crew behind. She like she just turned left I her behind, she did. but. Yeah. The- Nope. Yeah. i put that one. I was like, Chris ain't going to talk about that. I'll throw that one in there real quick.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know what? I figured, because I had mentioned last week that I thought that she did what she did in the Mesa and was going to come back like she did. Remember I said I thought she was going to find him at a bar someplace. Like she left yeah. him and then would find him again. But uh, they just kind of, like, basically appeared. So that really wasn't even the case. Yeah,
1: like, yeah, we didn't leave. We just walked around in circles, maybe.
2: (laughs) We just, yeah, we just walked around, so. Yeah,
1: we just cleared the outside. All right, moving into the season two episode review, um, one thing we do is I cover the meaning of the title. And this week, the title is phase space. The definition of phase space, it's a physics term. It's a multidimensional space in which each axis corresponds to one of the coordinates required to specify the state of a physical system all the coordinates being best represented, so a point in space corresponds to a state in the system. So consider it a three-phase, x, y, z, um, could be, say, solid, liquid, gas. And every dot on that line is a percentage of solid, liquid, gas. And so it could be 10% liquid, 20% solid, uh, 70% gas. But every dot represents a point in space corresponding to that system. This is more of a percentage thing Uh, Which equals to hundred, but you can make it so they don't have to equal a certain number and can be any dot in that thing. And what phase space is? It allows you to analyze the entirety of a solution. These are all the possible solutions, and to analyze them in one space. We know the parameters. It has to be this or this, this or this, this or this, and set all of those, and then and then query it, and you can thus query it to figure out what the solution is or the best possible answer. And the reason I think this title is relevant to this episode of the show is that this might be how Ford got past the fidelity test because what James Delos had with William was 146 iterations. What Ford could do would be a server size infinite number of iterations in a simulated space to figure out what's the best configuration to make a human hybrid mind core work. And so sure. that could be how he made it work was this thing. And that's my theory on that because I was wrong before about it, but I'm back, I'm on it now because Dave was right and I saw that stuff, but I'm back there.
0: That's great. That's really good. I like that a lot. I like that we have 3D coordinate geometry in here now. This is... <laughs> Thank you, KJ.
1: <laughs> I brought the science into the room. Um, speaking of science, we saw the cradle. We saw the door of the cradle, which is not named the cradle. It's CR4-DL. And I was kind of just playing around with it. I think it means cerebral re- Cerebral Research for Development Lab, but it could literally mean anything, and it could be any acronym. So I'm curious out there. If you're listening right now, just hit us a facebook twitter message us and think tell us what you think cr4-dl is and uh i'm curious to see who gets that one right because i feeling the show might let us know what that means at some point some text somewhere will let us know exactly what that means because showrunners aren't likely to leave that out and not tell us what that means
0: well guys it's about that time it's about that time where we we kind of bring it down a notch for this next segment which we seem to be renaming from week to week. This time we're gonna call it Dave Craps on Westworld for Reals. And then Chris and Cajun hijack the segment at the end.
1: Ooh, so no love after the crap. We shall see. So see what Dave's feelings are.
0: Yeah, I gotta be honest with you, man. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little down. I still love it. I love my season two. It's delightful. A lot of great storylines, but structurally I really think the second season is a lot weaker than season one. I'll tell you why. In season one, you know, we followed characters along a handful of compelling storylines. Multiple timelines existed, but they existed to the enrichment of the story. They made the story better. In season two, I feel like there's just way too many storylines for my liking. I think we have stories taking place years ago, stories taking place from the gala. Up to seven days later, story is taking place 11 days later. On top of that, we have an unreliable narrator in Bernard who admittedly doesn't remember events in chronological order, nor can he reliably recognize faces. And now we also have a simulated reality in the cradle. So we could also have timelines that are happening in the cradle and we don't even realize. So the timeline is now so obtuse and so clouded that it's seriously disrupting my enjoyment of certain segments of the show. It feels to me like they've just put a tremendous amount of weight on the big twist. The big twist is king, and compelling story is kind of a secondary goal in some facets. Now I'll tell you, like the Maeve storyline, the Dolores storyline, and the Williams storyline feel better to me. When I look at the different things that are going on in here, those to me feel like there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of twists going on, there's there's a lot of questions, but it's moving forward in a direction. But to me, I feel like they've gone a little bit too far in that direction with all of the Bernard storylines to the point where it, it's kind of a hot mess, and it's a little bit hard to make much sense out of. And if you rewatch it a million times, you can start to put some stuff together, but um it's almost to the detriment of the storytelling, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, so in regards to the hot mess stuff, there's one thing I don't think we put in our notes we did discuss though, because I don't think it's so complex. We didn't see scars at all. We didn't see Bernard's scar at all this episode. What that actually means to what we're seeing. It's so complex. I can't even wrap my head around it. That either we were wrong about the scars in two different timelines, they were we missed what the scars look like, or this is all some big simulation right now, in and out of it. So right now, this is a little too much. Uh, so we're just like we skipped this whole. What does a scar mean? Because the lighting just wasn't great to be able to tell it. So we're just skipping that one as well. Uh, so that adds to the Bernard complexity. Now one of the things that I didn't like was the she, the scenes in Shogun World. I think they could not have dragged on any longer. They were just they felt so long. They unnecessarily slowed down the momentum and they did tell the story about how Maeve uh lets these hosts get their own narrative to make their own story when they need to. She's not pulling them into her unless it's life or death. Um So that was good, but everything else, the Shogun scene, it was just pretty. That's all it was, but it it was really filler. Um, Now, one thing I did like, and I will say one thing I liked at the end, was the scene between William and Emily was top-tier acting. They chewed up that scene, and I felt every emotion between that father and daughter and every little thing going through there. I had picked up on all that stuff. It was great. Chris?
2: Uh, No, I I completely agree about Shogun world. I mean, just... Uh, I had written down that the lesson is everybody deserves their own fate, even if it's death. That's basically what the forty-five minutes was for. Mm-hmm. I think that could have been tied into any number of the storylines they already had without going to Shogun World. Right. Um, my thoughts are that they they brought they showed you a little bit of Shogun World in the season finale last year. Everybody was super excited, so they thought they felt almost <laughs> obligated to go there regardless of what the storyline happened to be. Maybe they didn't even know where they were technically going to take it. They knew they were kind of going to go there, but what the, where the story was going to be? You know, go with it. So it just it was just a lot, and then the fact that we had to sit through another like at least ten minutes of Shogun World in this episode, it's like I, I'm hoping it's done. The I'm assuming that it's done, and then we're not going back. So, if that's the end of it, great. I honestly I did, I could care less about Shogun World, and the last one was. If you're going to sneak attack with uh, on a train, right, and you're going to go into a tunnel, why would you blow the whistle <laughs> prior to entering that, that tunnel? <laughs> it, like, it's not a sneak attack anymore if the train is blasting the whistle.
1: No. It's, the <laughs> only thing I think could be there is the only person on the train was the tech stuck on there with a the gun, and he could have been like,
2: help. <laughs> no, it's just like. Hey, it's like one of the people kids getting excited. Like, I want to blow the whistle. I want to blow the whistle, and then they do. And it's like, well, now they know you're coming. (laughs) So those are the only two things that I found that were really just like, oh man. Uh, And overall, like Dave, uh, to your point, it took me two watches on this episode just to kind of get most of the points. Like I had like the first overall view was like, okay, it's good, but there wasn't a whole lot here. Second time, I'm like, oh, there really was a whole lot here. It's just that I had to watch it like a second
0: time to like slow it down to catch all of it. So uh, I think this is about the time when we should move on to character motivations here, and, and we have four that it seems like we're really honing in on this week. So uh, let's dive into it, and let's start off with Maeve. Um, Chris, is this your point here, the f- this first one?
2: Yeah, uh, my first point is like that, that Maeve shows, even with power, that she allows things to work themselves out, and I put hashtag playfair. The reason why is because initially, like when you see her in Shogun World, uh, at the end you think, oh man, she's just going to run rickshaw on everybody now. Like if they don't want to listen to her, she's just going to have them kill themselves or or do whatever. And then you see that she still allows people to determine their own fates, uh, including asking them to leave with her. And he says, no, no, we're going to stay. We're going to let the girl with that tattoo take off with you. Um, My curiosity in this whole thing lies in, will Maeve is this going to be a continuing theme for Maeve? Is this motivation for her going to continue or will her daughter have an effect on this where she's going to want to change that? So I'm curious on how her motivation is going to change in the next episode.
0: Yeah. And I have to tell you, Chris, I really love this. Whereas exploring the definition of consciousness really was the overarching theme for season one. Free will is the major theme that's emerging this season. You see Maeve and Dolores taking two very different approaches here. Uh, but with Maeve, certainly, as you said, she really values the free will and agency of other AI and even of, of people. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at some other characters and kind of where they stand when it comes to free will as well as, as we move forward.
1: Right. Now, for me, Maeve is, is pretty simple. She wants her daughter back as her daughter. And that has been her motivation, her drive along. Everything else along the way was just a means to that end. Well, now she has her daughter back, but not as her daughter. How she goes about getting her daughter as her daughter back, even if she will, because she will hit that free will scenario. Does she reprogram her to be her daughter to get the feeling she's been struggling for the whole time? Or she lets her be as is, lets her daughter be the happy daughter she is and not reprogram her with the torturous memories ever past, who
0: knows? That's really good. That's like the ultimate test for her.
1: Yep. Now uh, we said four earlier, but we did have William indented, so William is actually next for us. So, uh, Chris, you have one for William here.
2: Uh, I do, and I said William leaves her dot, leaves his daughter in the middle of the night. Um, so I think a motivation for William is is he's unsure if she is a host or if she's not a host, and if she isn't, and it really is his daughter, he doesn't want her to fall into danger. And so that's why he leaves. He's trying to protect her. And I think that's his motivation in this scene. He gives her the fidelity tests. She passes, I guess, up, but we're still unsure. It, he believes it enough where he's like, I've got to go, I don't want you following.
0: And he takes off. Yeah, I, you know, that's definitely very plausible. I read it a little bit differently. I looked at it as William in Black knows that going ashore with Emily is going to repair their relationship. And a big part of him knows that that's the right thing to do and something he kind of partially wants to do. But he blatantly disregards her. Knowing that, he makes another choice. Finding the door, following his purpose in the park, is the most important thing in the world to him even more important than his daughter or repairing their relationship. And that's pretty dark and it's pretty telling of where his head is at.
1: Right, and this this does question for me my pull from Ford's Speech that he's the one that can be redeemed. We saw him with uh, Lawrence's family have some redemption. Here he had a chance to redeem himself with his family but for him this is the ultimate game. He's prepared his entire life and he is an addict at this game. He's a gaming addict. He cannot not finish this. And so he casts his daughter aside to finish the game, to win, and we shall see if we, I was right about this is how he will redeem himself and become White Hat, or is he just too much of an addict and will just burn himself out at the end. Uh, but right now, that's his. to me, that's his single-minded motivation. Now, moving on to Teddy over here, new Teddy. You and improved. Teddy.
2: We call him Terminator Teddy because Terminator Teddy gives absolutely zero fucks. Like, zero. It's awesome. Like, when Dolores is pressing the guy from Delos about where Abernathy is, Teddy's just like, this is taking too effing long. And just blasts him in the head, and he's like, listen, we'll find your dad. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Like, he's ready to take off. And then she even tries to pull him into a quieter moment and says, remember, Teddy, when when we wanted to be out here? And he was like – he looks at her, and he was like, I never thought I wanted to leave, but I suppose you fixed that too. Like, a nice, snarky-ass remark right from behind, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, there is a part of me that can't wait for when Teddy turns on her because that 1%, that 19 versus 20 on the loyalty is there – and that you can already start to see the motivation, that little bitter snippy comment about the fact that you've probably changed that too is enough to piss him off.
1: Yep, and uh, I looked at uh, some stuff similar to what I did last time. I couldn't tell what was changed, but uh, what seems to have changed with Teddy was he's more decisive, he's more cruel, and he's more aware, apperception turned up. That's that apperception part. I suppose you fix that too. He's aware now that Dolores made changes to him. Um, And the cruelness we saw, killing that guy, the decisiveness, how fast he did it, he knew the end game there. And one thing that was telling, it was mirror image of Teddy, was him going down, reaching for Dolores' can of condensed milk, and then grabbing a bullet from behind it and not even touching the milk. That was the telling of Teddy's character. He is no longer that caring person who's going to pick that up for her. He picks up the bullet because this is going to help me get my end goal.
2: Shout out to Angela, who gave him that look like, damn, when he, when he when he took that guy out. I was like, Dolores, you better watch out. Your man might get taken. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Angela, Angela got turned on there. Uh, Dolores was concerned, like, what did I do? <laughs> uh.
0: Hey, so let's move on to Emily. You know, that scene with her and William sitting at the firelight, as you said earlier, Cajun, like, just really moving. And she to me she wants her father to value her more than his lust for the park's reality and it makes his decision to get up and leave her so sad you know that conversation that they have about the mother she just she wants him to do the right thing by her for once and she really doesn't expect it necessarily because you can hear from the story that he's disappointed her so often before But she's there asking. She says, I'm not telling you. I'm asking you. Come with me. Don't do this to me. You're not allowed to just go off and die in the park and saddle me with that too. Come with me. Do this for me. And he agrees and then just stabs her right in the back again. A heartbreaking moment. But, you know, that's her driving force for being there.
1: Now, uh, for Emily, I mean, if you're not sure... We're talking about Grace, Chris, or?
2: Oh, we're talking about Grace. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, Grace is Emily. Oh, okay, guys, just make sure. I Grace wanted to make sure you knew we were talking about the that, same person. Listen, if they haven't mentioned her name and they've kept it as IMDb, there's a reason for oh, this. Yeah. I'm just saying.
1: It's. I'm less sure now this episode than I was last episode. <laughs> I'm still sure. I'm just and, less
2: sure. Less sure. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to hear. All right. All right, we're going to talk about Ford. Oh, wait, no, no.
1: I, I still have mine on uh, Emily side. Yeah, yeah. I was just giving oh, some Emily, snark okay. before getting into it. Oh, okay. It. Uh, All right. For her, for Emily's motivation, I think she wants to keep her father close uh, and either her, close to her away from the park or close in the valley beyond. But she knows she's losing him. He's getting away from her. She needs to keep him close. Now, the other thing, part of her motivation is we know she has ulterior motives for being in the park to begin with. Her father wasn't in her notebook. She's obviously not in the park to screw host. We saw that. She's not in the park to see elephants. She's in the park for something else. Whatever she told her dad what she was in the park for, why she was there, was a lie. And we don't know her exact reasons of why she's in that park.
2: Uh, I think I might have that reason. Um, We'll talk about it in a little bit. Perfect. All right. Mm. Now
1: moving on to Ford. Uh, For me, Ford is ensuring his plan is executing, and he's playing William like a piano just referencing to him playing it in the final scene but yeah that's my one thing he's ensuring that that happens the host they're free right now but William is the key because if he doesn't allow this continue to happening and them to be free because I think William is the one that Ford thinks can really drop the hammer and stop this and Ford is making sure he gets him to the end of his game to continue this host revolution or
0: whatever so, you know, and, and to me, we see a couple of motivations here continuing with Ford. He's thwarting Delos' efforts to regain control. Uh, we see him doing that when they talk about, oh, no, you know, the, the, the cradle is improvising and, and stopping our efforts to regain some of these systems and get them back online. But he has become, in his own eyes, if you look back at the dialogue from season one, he has become a higher form of being. He is evolving humanity itself. And getting back to the free will thing, you know, Ford ma- Ford's manipulations play into that as well. So, are characters truly free? And are they acting of their own volition? Or are they just puppets on a string? and Ford is back there just, you know, pulling those strings and getting William to do what he wants him to do and Dolores to do what he wants her to do and Bernard to do what he wants him to do. How much of the season is really the machinations of Ford? And even for the AI that have achieved full consciousness, are they still not quite fully free? You know, again, going back to that scene with Maeve and Dolores when they ran into each other that one time in, what was it, episode three maybe? Mm-hmm. You know, talking about, oh, you think you're free, Teddy? Or are you really free? Because it seems like you're doing everything Dolores wants you to. So, you know, is, is Ford doing the same thing with a whole bunch of people? Probably. Mm-hmm. We'll find out who, and, and all that will unfold, I'm sure.
2: Dave, I think they play that up specifically when they show Dolores playing the piano. And then immediately at the end, a show Ford doing the same exact thing. Same scene, somebody walking through the door, which was Teddy. It's Dolores at the piano, you know. I, I really feel like they're playing that up.
1: Yeah, that was very parallel. Just like his uh, Teddy and the milk, the condensed milk and the bullet, that was a very parallel scene for sure.
2: Now we get to go to fact or fiction, which is my favorite part because it answers a lot more que- There's a lot more questions than our answers. Yeah, for sure. Yep.
1: I like this one for sure uh, because we really get to know down what do we know, what do we don't know. And one thing I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of got ahead of ourselves here, is. Uh, we know we cannot see a scar on Bernard's head. This entire episode, what that means, we don't know what that means. But we know we did not see one, and we looked. So that is interesting.
2: Uh, one of the things that we learned was that the, that we thought that the Cradle uh, was just to be uh, a server data farm, and that the backup and the backup host personalities in the park. However, QA and Elsie and Bernard determined that the Cradle isn't a self-contained hive mine and uh separate from other systems and that the cradle's been fighting back like you talked about Mm -hmm. which we believe to be Ford, but like that's been determined outside of the cradle itself so they're figuring out that going on without actually even having to go inside of it so that's we know that they know that um the breakdown of the park structure originated in the cradle so we know that that to be a fact i mean you kind of know that because we we see Ford and and we're guessing that that's the case but they're narrowing it down to that which i think is nice um and that we know Kaufman says that the cradle started fighting back seven days ago, which is the exact time frame of Ford's death.
1: Right, which is about the time the red ball would have been put in there. So sure. that I mean that all those things continue to day's narrative of that's where he's at. We just don't know none of that stuff as a whole together, but we know all these individual things, which are a
2: lot of facts with a lot of legs um, added to it. Another fact that we got was that Kaufman um, and he's the military sergeant that comes down for Delos, arrives seven days, which means it cuts into the 11-day timeline, the 10-day timeline. Now we have the seven-day timeline. We know that he showed up, which what I believe, and I mentioned this to you guys, I think was the A squad to come in and take care of business. Something happened to that A squad, and now we're stuck with the B squad. And so we, I guess we can surmise within three days this guy dies, or something happened from the time he got dropped to the time that they brought in the next, or four days, to the time they brought in the next team.
1: (coughs) Right, we definitely can assume that, but for me, he's the first crew to enter the park in seven days. The only other crews we saw there were quality assurance or the inside park security. We didn't see anybody enter the park until now in terms of the first seven days. We have saw them enter 11 days, four, four days from now, but that was in a past timeline just showed us before. So this is the first team to come in. The one now, one thing we don't know about Caulfield and his team are are they even Delos? Because sure. Hale called them in and they didn't have any Delos logos or anything. They were all generic. They gear. could be mercs, yeah, for sure. And Stubbs didn't recognize them, and he was acting weird about them, like I don't know what's going on here. So they could, yeah, they could be mercs. They could be working for the company that Charlotte Hale is trying to get this information out for.
2: But well, a- we also gain is Stubb was, was alive and around at that time. So, I mean, we knew where he was at at the 11-day timeline because we were all excited, hey, Stubbs is back. Well, he was, he was back before that. Mm-hmm. So Ghost Nation had left between when Grace, Emily, <laughs> ran away and Ghost Nation left him and that time period is the time period that, of that seven, that 7 to 10 days. Because she left, right. he was with Ghost Nation, Ghost Nation disappeared, so Stubbs was still alive. Then all of a sudden you see, Stubbs, the next time you see Stubbs in that timeline would be when Kaufman shows yeah, up. Yeah, and
1: he's all the way back at the Mesa just cleaning yeah, stuff up, yeah. just being okay with it. So I, I, had, I started another theory on that thing right there, but then I backed off all of it. Because this is one I had last year, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't nail it down. It was just a week when I had last year.
2: And this is just a shout-out for you, uh, Cajun, and all of your Catholicism that is involved in Westworld. I put down Abernathy being nailed down to the cross, another sign that religion is being put, brought into Westworld. Yep. I mean, the, where they were t- shooting him, it was in the shoulder blades, in the legs. It was, it was pretty obvious what was going on. It was, like, it was very like, they're like, why didn't you just tie him down? Why tie him when we can nail him? It's like, come on. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. Come on, come on. You're like leaning heavy into this. Yeah, he has, um, he has and-
1: information that will save us. So we will nail oh, yeah, him to the cross. Yeah,
2: we'll, yeah. We're going to nail him to the cross. So let's get into stuff that we don't know.
1: All right. We don't know, like we finishing time and time again, if it's for truly controlling the park and all non-awoke AI are being controlled through the cradle. I mean, it's damn close with lots of evidence, lots of legs, Just not confirmed yet. I mean, next week we will almost guarantee to be confirmed, but we don't know for sure yet.
2: Um, are there layers... To Westworld, meaning not only multiple timelines, but also multiple realities. We're pretty sure that that might be the case, but it's still wide open. The multiple realities thing is you're getting into some matrix shit. So, like, if this is what what Westworld is turning into with the cradle, I'm going to be freaked the hell out. Yeah. I, and
1: I'm not going to be on board with that. Like Dave was saying, it's, it's getting complex as it is, especially with the Menard stuff. Adding the realities adds more to that and adds more variables and questioning stuff. Keep it to. Artificial intelligence, human intelligence, artificial lifetime, human lifetime, keep those things right there. And as long as you can't physically tell the difference by, by looking at someone and then all of the other things be behind the scenes. But if now all of this is uh, could be real or could not be real, that's when it just goes out the window for me.
2: Um, I asked the question, does does, uh, MIB leave Emily slash Grace to go to the lake to keep her safe or because he feels like she is part of Ford's game? That's still up in the air because the fidelity questions would lead you to believe that that's not the case, but he still might not be trusting because I don't think he knows who or what is a part of Ford's game.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a third solution is that he Mm -hmm. thinks she's— or she straight up told him she is trying to stop him from continuing to play this game, and he does not want to stop. He's the addict, and okay, I, think, sure. I think that's it. But again, we don't know uh, why he left. That hasn't been clarified yet.
2: Now, you had a question about why uh, Grace, Emily, was even there, and mm-hmm. Charlotte invited Emily, Grace, to be a part of the gauntlet. We don't know what the gauntlet is.
1: It's a new the door. It's a new thing. It's,
2: it's, it's a the and a yeah, thing. Is, it's the maze. It's the door. I, it's the gauntlet. The puzzle. It's, it's finding your whatever consciousness. Yeah. Um. But that's why she's there. You said that it, you know there's a specific reason why she's there and there's something in the book and she's looking for something. It could be something that Charlotte set up and that's the game. Like she's playing a separate game or doing something completely different. She might be stopping him because she's afraid he's going to get to whatever she's trying to get to before she is. Right. So it could easily be that, too. Yeah. Um, could be so, not saving her or, dad.
1: Yeah, you're right. It could just be, yeah, good call.
2: But, we, but for they wouldn't bring up the word the gauntlet unless it meant something. So mm. I, I feel like it's going to be brought back up again, and there's going to be a reasoning behind it. Yeah. Um, when did human hostages now become allowed to carry firearms? Huh? Because all of a sudden, this episode, not previous episodes, remember, she didn't give any guns when they were in Shogun World. All of a sudden now they have guns at the end of this oh. and they're allowed to walk around Yeah, Felix, Felix has is allowed to walk uh, Felix has a gun I mean does she super trust these humans because if she yeah. does she's a fool doesn't make sense I don't understand why
1: especially Sylvester like Sylvester, Sylvester. He's, yes. he's just an idiot like Felix is her dog uh, Sizemore is very questionable and Sylvester is twice even more questionable I screwed
2: her over twice yeah. twice has tried to screw her over so it doesn't make any sense I caught the fact that he had the gun it didn't make sense to me um, why didn't Maeve use her powers on Occhetta?
1: I still don't think she can speak Lakota.
2: Oh, she did you to th- him. She did speak it to him.
1: Oh, she yeah. spoke Lakota to them in this episode? Yeah, she
2: spoke she Lakota did. to
0: him. So <sighs> I don't know why she didn't try to stop him. Like, I don't understand. Mm. I, I She has that. I read the scene, because I was wondering the same thing too. The scene kind of read to me like, it just happens so fast that she yeah. didn't really... Like, at first, she's running away in fear. So I think it was more that at first she was paralyzed by her own fear of the memory of that having happened previously. You know, because she didn't immediately go, let me just control everybody. Um, But then when he pulled up to her and she sort of squared up like she was going to confront this guy, I think if he didn't talk to her in a way that said, hey, come with me, which, you know, could have been Ford or whatever speaking through him. But, you know, if, if, if he didn't approach her in that way, I think she would have. But you're right. I, you would think that her initial reaction, the second they rolled up, was, oh, I don't have to be afraid of you anymore. I'm, like, on God mode. Yep. Maybe she just forgot she was on
2: God mode. Like, it's, it's not like your first instinct to be, like, hey, I can just wipe you all out.
1: Or it requires intense focus because the two times she was kind of really focused and almost dead and maybe she just was like like they were saying just too scared to be able to focus and do
2: that um a question that i asked right after that was is ghost nation run by ford and trying to bring Maeve back on loop which is why he says come with me or is that is that why she says their path leads back to hell
1: Mm. see i think she still sees them as the ultimate evil entity that's why she thinks that her path leads to hell But Ghost Nation is trying to. Seems to be Ford's agents now. They're trying to protect people and beings Ford deems worthy. Uh, Maybe people who were nice to Ford once. (laughs) I don't know. And so a a big mystery is
2: like a big mystery is Ghost Nation. We don't know if they're good. We don't know if they're bad. We know they didn't try to take her out. Like they've let her run so they really haven't they didn't shoot at her immediately which they could have Mm -hmm. and like and they didn't and also we know that there was an assumption that they were at the honey hole but they weren't because they're it, it was a honey hole it wasn't like ghost nation coming up and attacking so they they're not attacking humans right it's just there's it's just so vague with what who or what they are so that's still a huge mystery to me
0: the honey hole
2: yes
1: yeah, yeah, that was the uh, the spot. Well, they weren't there. They weren't at the the spot where William's crew was ambushed.
2: Oh, no, oh, oh, it, honey yeah. pot. Oh, honey pot, honey. Yeah. Oh, I called it, I call it the honey hole. What a honey pot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an expression meaning like when you put something really sweet right out for people to see to draw them in to lure them mm-hmm. into a trap so that you can attach them. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's also a hacker term for like making a a backdoor really easy and a hacker's like "Oh, I can get in and then the FBI yeah, just arrest them. Yeah. oh crazy
2: well the other other stuff that I had is all stuff we've already tackled so I'm not gonna jump into any farther into it okay Great. and
1: and the one thing about the uh, the Ghost Nation we do know though that they can Ford can talk to them because uh, the Ghost Nation leader um, Aksheta he speaks clear English seemingly in Ford's voice to Stubbs like whispers to something when they have to kneel down along the lake right there so and I forget it was talking about being I forget the exact quote but it was talking about being remembered and so yep. that's what I think uh they're not the old hosts that can't be connected to it as previously discussed because we did see Ford talking through them
0: all right is it time for predictions gentlemen yes sir it is. okay let's do this. So listen, there's a lot of evidence to support and enhance a theory that we've been talking about for a while. So we know with certainty that Ford transferred his consciousness to a mind core, or near certainty at least. So I think the opening scene with Dolores training either Bernard or Arnold is another clue pointing to our theory that Ford found success where Delos did not. I think Ford knows how to successfully make a viable human-AI hybrid like James Delos, and he is using Dolores to test his Bernard Arnold. I think he chose Dolores because she is familiar with Arnold, much like William was a really familiar face that was sent in to go and speak to James Delos in his room to assess his fidelity. So I think that uh, Ford, again, you know, he has succeeded where Delos and William have not in being able to transfer human consciousness into, you know, mind cores or put them into hosts. And so, you know, what does that mean for that conversation with Dolores and that Bernard Arnold? Does it mean that, you know, he's trying to recreate a fully viable version of Arnold now moving forward? because remember that that Bernard Arnold does not have the scar is this like you know in, in the future from all of this I'm not sure is that why Dolores is in the blue dress because it's kind of an old familiar version of Dolores not the new you know awoken version of Dolores so that's kind of she's a little bit more comfortable for uh the new Arnold consciousness he's making to to have a conversation with I
1: I I believe the blue dress and that room is something I brought up previously is that that is Dolores's most vivid memories that she can test the fidelity of Arnold that that was when he was questioning her and she can give the answers and test his answers back and she has vivid memories of interactions with him one on one in that room dressed just like that and I think that's why it's that dress in that room and uh and that also that it's in the cradle though that this is happening now it Used to say in the future now in the cradle because of the letterbox and such yeah
2: are are yeah, there multiple like are there multiple bernards because there were multiple james Daloses. so the, the iterations of bernard that are found of uh, the, the multiple bernards are the ones that because william burned the Delos's what if Ford couldn't do that and he just kept them
1: oh so instead of making backup copies
2: he just kept the kept the Bernards instead of burning it because William just burned them and toasted them he's like forget it let's we're not going to keep them to study we're just going to go on to the next one what if he kept the multiple Bernards
1: I like it. That, that explains like it. a lot because why have like 10 Manaras where you can just easily have two because you could easily print them in the time it would take to burn up another one. Why have so many? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Um, now this one we've hit a couple of times, but this is a theory is that every time we see letterbox display on the screen, it means you're looking at a simulation in the cradle. And that means Dolores is testing when fidelity in the cradle. That's the, I mean, that's a simple, super easy theory, but that it's not proven yet, so it's out there. Um, Dave?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, just continuing with my theory that Ford's ultimate goal is to help AI find the door into the real world and truly set them free. Uh, I think Ford is in the system and he's actively working to prevent Delos from regaining control of the park you know, he's only allowing them to regain control of things like the climate control system. He wants to give the AI a chance to truly gain freedom. And he knows that the only way that they're going to do that and truly be allowed to live is by escaping the park and getting out into the world.
1: Yep. All right. Oh, uh, earlier I mentioned the quote that Ford says to Stubbs as the ghost nation leader. I, I, Copied it somewhere else and missed it. The quote is You only live as long as the last person who remembers you. And my curiosity is Is that violent delights have violent ends this season?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's my theory. I wonder if that's something that's being said to like cue something else happening.
2: Now- I missed that quote. We haven't heard it in a few episodes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would like to hear it more often to, to clarify that if, if that is something more to it. Oh, uh, now, my theory is that Bernard two weeks later is in a simulation loop. I mentioned last week we saw a lot more this week because we filled some of the holes. Last week, this theory had a ton of holes. Now quite a bit have been filled. We know how the cradle functions. That's known. And we know humans can probably be programmed in this simulation. Charlotte, Strand, Stubbs, Elsie. You could program things to interact with it because we've seen what it looks like in there. It's a simulation that runs beings' thoughts and how they, they move. It doesn't have to be pure human, but you can make them look like a human and act like one. Um, one thing about the simulation loop is if Bernard is in this loop and Delos is running him through it, we need to know what Bernard knows that Delos wants. I think it could be how to communicate with Ford in the cradle. And Chris, you have a different one.
2: I do. Yeah, I think that the reason why is I think that they, well, I think that they want the information that he has from Abernathy. I think the... the secret code that he that we saw that he, that was the the one-time code. Mm-hmm. I think Bernard has it, and I think they're running him through the loops to get it, because they can't access Abernathy without it.
1: Yep. yep. After I heard yours, I was like, man, I like yours a little better, but I'm sticking with mine. <laughs> <laughs> sticking with mine. Um, so Chris and I both noticed this uh, in terms of this uh, simulation of theory is that in the closed-caption credits, you see... Elsie say, God damn it, and it's credited to Hale. So Elsie says it, but it says Hale. Either the closed caption person got it wrong, or... That,
2: this adds more to my theory.
1: Exactly. And that theory is this. If Bernard is in the simulation loop, and it's Hale, and others writing him through it, Charlotte realizes I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. She gets on a horse, literally runs off and leaves him there. And then um uh, uh what's her face? I, I I had um Clementine. Clementine drags him to a cave. Here's Elsie, played by Charlotte Hale, trying to get information out of Max in questions again. Um this kind of leads to the question because Bernard and Elsie are on the tracks. And Bernard tells Elsie, I believe if anyone can write this ship by sheer force of will, it's you. And Elsie smiles, which means that he trusts her implicitly, and that could mean, if that's the case, that Charlotte acting like Elsie is a key to gaining his trust and she did something right there.
2: All right. This is gonna this is a theory and training. Like and I, I, th- I threw this out like a wild slider uh, either last week or the week prior but I think MIB is a host I had, a couple of things over the last few weeks have added this up he's confused about talking to, about his wife to Lawrence which triggers a reverie or a memory for him that was not congruent with what actually happened or what he had said originally happened he said his wife died by pills We see her in the bathtub and it uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it looks to be an apparent suicide then he again misremembers that his wife was the one that was afraid of elephants in the raj and not uh grace emily because she loves elephants how do you confuse your daughter with your wife are these parts of a fidelity test that are just not jiving a little bit and he's misremembering information i don't know it to be a fact I'm just saying that these are things that are starting to add up in in the favor of this is a potential theory that could, you know, that's getting a little bit of steam.
1: Those are two pieces of evidence, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying it, but I do like when theories have evidence and those are two pieces of evidence for that theory. Cause
0: yeah, and I think and I think there's something there. I'm not totally convinced that it's that he's a host yet, but those two things are pointing at some. There's something going on with the the wife's suicide and the daughter, and you know, there's there's more to this for sure. The only
2: thing that I could think of that was real world is that the disease that he told tells uh, Teddy that he's dying from is Alzheimer's, and that's why he's not remembering. Oh.
1: Hmm. Now, the other thing is both of those theories, though, or pieces of evidence, though, could be explained away with him just being a crappy father and husband.
2: That's true, but those are very, yeah. I mean... I mean, they're very specific. <laughs> the show
1: doesn't go like, you're crappy and those other sort of stuff. But.
2: Yeah, he's a pretty sleuthy business dude. And then, I mean, also I could add in the fact that his arm isn't hurt anymore, We haven't seen the broken one where it was broken. He was – every time they shoot at him, they miss him, or if they do hit him, he's not, like, taken aback where he's actually damaged or injured. Just – and I remember I talked about a couple of weeks back thinking that it could have been the the shot that he got hit with by Teddy that took him down, and and that's why he was under the pile of bodies. Those are all things that are just kind of off the side. Like, I don't count those as fact. Those are just me guessing. These two things actually happened on screen, so those are, that's why I'm going. With it those. could have
1: been William was the host that Ford was printing because we know it wasn't Ford mm-hmm. in his lab that he was printing. They say it could be a William that after. The why thing, do we
0: know it wasn't Ford? Running.
1: We don't know it wasn't Ford, but we know that we're pretty sure at this point from your theory that Ford's consciousness is actually in the cradle and doesn't have a physical body at this point. But perhaps.
0: He hasn't no. waiting. Perhaps he's planning to put his consciousness into it. I don't know. Gotcha, I, I'm gotcha. not. I'm not sure that I'm sold on that anymore. But
2: like it I could said, be. my Ford host thing is, or my MIB host thing is, is just it's building blocks. We'll we'll see if we get another piece next week. Yep.
1: But and to what I was saying uh, earlier, though, the my th- theory and thought is that the way the human host hybrid works is that it has to be in the cradle with running all those simulations, though. So that's why I think that the body thing is not real. But that, again, I said it with confidence a second ago. Let me dial it back and just say that's just a thought theory that I don't think Ford is a host body out there because I don't think he... I think he figured out a mind core can only work in the cradle.
0: Yeah, I I, I was leaning toward thinking that it was uh, William's body that he was printing there so that he could say, hey, why don't you kill yourself and become one of these things too? Uh, but I don't know. Now I want to think a little bit more about this because, you know, we are adding slowly and slowly more evidence that points to the fact that William might be a host presently. So we'll have see we, what happens. Have
2: we have we gone back to that scene to even see if there's any slight hint out of that scene at all or not? No, there's no... That's just the, that's, the, printing that's scene just the death scene. Yeah, yeah, the printing scene is the death scene, so mm-hmm. I guess I would go back and just check to see Bernard choking her out and finding out what actually happened.
1: Yeah, all right. it... Yeah, it at that point all it was all white hosts, and all white mm-hmm. hosts looked the same. Yeah.
2: Maybe we'll get a little bit more information based on next week's title.
1: Oh, it's out there. I just haven't looked up what it is. All three all show all of the show titles are out. All three episode mm-hmm. show titles are out on IMDB. I just didn't look at what this one is. I'm keeping that secret right. to myself, I guess at least. Yeah, right. All right, Chris, do you have one more you want to go over, or uh, do you think uh,
2: No, no, that no. I went over the Abernathy uh, is the key uh, thing, and I st- I honestly believe that's true. I think that the the Charlotte thing running through the loops, and there she's there just trying to get the information, which is why they the abstraction. I don't like the whole abstraction thing. I I think the part where she said they they won't let us out until they get what they need. They still don't have what they need. Th- those are all just loops, but and then like they're that's not real. They're just running them through that until they can get, the, get Abernathy to get out. Gotcha. And we don't even know if, if they're going to grab Abernathy in this one. I mean, if, if whatever Dolores is doing, it blows up part of the Mesa, you know they're going to take Abernathy with him because she knows that he's there.
1: Yeah, and we know that they're still looking for her at some point. Uh, still looking for him at some point So, in the future.
2: And according to the, the overhead mic that we, we heard from me, what was it last week? That they took out all those guys. So we know that all those people don't survive. Oh, yeah. That was that, that was that was 3 episodes ago that we heard that. So we know what happens. Like it's really weird. It's like watching the prequels in Star Wars. We already <laughs> know what's going to happen. Right. It's like it's just give, give us the, give us the real timeline.
1: All right. Now, any last comments before we sign off? Anything in anybody's notes or thoughts?
0: I'm good, man. All right. Let's wrap yeah. it up and do this again next week. Mhm. Right. All right, you
1: can find us email at podcast at geekologistradio.com, Twitter at geekologistradio minus a T for character restrictions on the web, geekologistradio.com, and ninja pancake.com. And where can we find you, Dave?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Big D112358. And Chris?
2: You can find me constantly on Twitter, I feel like, at noons <laughs>
1: You can find me Caucasian Saint all one word on Twitter. Thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, Wherever you grab this show from, uh, do us a favor and leave a like or give us a comment anywhere we mentioned previously. We'd like to know what your thoughts are on the show and what feedback you have. How would you like it better? What do you want in it? uh, What are your theories? And uh, let's talk about it. Y'all have a good one, guys, and catch you after the next episode.